Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 225, 2019 NWTF Convention and Sports Show Recap. And I am your host... And the guy who is drowning, yes, it has rained every single day in Alabama since I got back from Nashville. And I think it even rained a day or two while I was gone to Nashville. I saw the other day on the news, one of the meteorologists in the Birmingham area is estimating that in this part of the state, we will have one of our top five wettest winters ever recorded by the time the end of February rolls around. At this stage, I believe it. The good news about all this rain is that the cloud cover and the shortened daylight periods are probably going to keep the turkeys right on target for this spring. My trail cam pictures prove just that so far because I have pictures with lots of hens and not one single solitary gobbler. But I am kind of hoping that'll change relatively soon because we are 23 days, 11 hours, 38 minutes, and 23 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Hey, I've got a little bit of turkey soup to start us off today, and I'm going to fly through it because I have a ton of content for you guys. So first up, I told you guys a few weeks ago that Idaho is accepting applications for their controlled hunts, and they're being accepted until March the 1st, so be sure to get your application in for those sometime soon. The state's having 16 controlled hunts, with seven of those being youth hunts in southern and eastern Idaho. Pennsylvania hunters, it is time for you to write your state legislators and express your views on Sunday hunting. A bill has cleared committee and will be going in front of your state senate to allow Sunday hunting going forward. Personally, I don't like the no hunting on Sunday laws, the blue laws as they're called. I do see some sound management reasons for those laws, but that is not why those laws are in place. Again, just my opinion, but I shouldn't be legislating my beliefs on you. If you want to go to hell for hunting turkeys on Sunday, then have at it. By the way, I'll see you there. Kansas hunters can apply for draw hunts from now until March the 4th. Kansas is having 63 hunts this year, including 9 mentored hunts, 25 open hunts, 28 youth hunts, and 1 disability hunt. 
There's no fee to apply, and the draw is open to residents and non-residents. So, go to Google and search Kansas Special Hunts Information and find the link to the ksoutdoors.com website there. North Carolina is offering 11 free turkey hunting seminars in March. Pre-registration is required for these seminars and it must be completed online. The seminars are open to those who wish to attend on a first-come, first-served basis. For more information, go to your favorite search engine and search North Carolina Turkey Seminars. If you're in New Hampshire or in Nebraska, you want to do the same. Go to your favorite search engine, search your state and turkey hunting seminars because there's seminars being held in both of those states as well this spring. Colorado Parks and Wildlife encourages you guys to apply for a chance at participating in a pair of mentored turkey hunts on private land this spring. If that's something that interests you, it's a great opportunity to go turkey hunting with someone who can teach you the ropes and give you a little bit of a boost to get out there. Now, these are special opportunity hunts. There's two hunts being held, and you have to go online and apply for these hunts. Special consideration is going to be given to those hunters who have no turkey hunting experience. So... You can probably find the link to register for one of those hunts online. Wisconsin turkey hunters harvested 3,782 turkeys this fall compared to 3,971 in 2017. This decline is said to be due to lack of hunter effort. Interesting. Not really surprising, but interesting. Hey, here's a state I don't talk about a whole lot on the show. California is offering 86 special hunts this spring on public and private lands. 25 of those special hunts are youth hunts. I thought it's pretty cool that a youth can hunt the weekend before the statewide season opens and an extra two weeks after the statewide season ends. Hunters who wish to participate need to apply through the CDFW's automated license data system. Okay, now, you and I are up to date on our turkey news, and I need to share my incredible trip to Nashville with you guys. It is so much fun to just immerse yourself in and surround yourself with turkey hunting and turkey hunters for three days. Those days fly by, and before you know it, you're in the vehicle headed back home thinking you missed out on so much and you just didn't get enough. You didn't get to feed that addiction enough. There is so much going on as part of the convention that we really need three or four more of us clones to send here and there to experience the things that we want to do but can't. Fortunately for me, I had one clone this weekend as I sent Cameron, the former Turkey Hunter podcast intern, out here and there to cover what I couldn't. We got some great content to bring you guys over the next 12 months, but today I'm going to walk you through my weekend in turkey heaven. So let's do this. 
Friday morning found me in the exhibit hall first thing to stand in line to get in the show and then stand in line to get in the Apex booth because Yankee Buddy John needed some TSS shells. The Apex guys are always nice and they were jam-packed busy Friday. We were going to try to do an interview together at their booth during the show, but, but they really had too much going on for me to try to pull them away from paying customers. I don't like to do that to vendors at the show. They should be there making money while they can. After I bought John's shells, I sent them back to my room via my lovely bride and assistant for the day, and I set out for Scott Ellis's seminar entitled Setting the Mood. Now, I did something a little different this year during most of the seminars. I bought two digital voice recorders and two microphones, and I asked each seminar presenter to allow me to mic him or her up so that we can have better audio quality on this show. One of you guys emailed me at the first of this year and said, hey, I love the NWTF seminars that you played, but the audio is brutal on them. And he was right. So I came up with a simple solution, spent the money to implement it, and we have quality audio from most of the seminars that the NWTF had. So listen in to this clip from Scott Ellis's seminar, and I'll see you in a few. So you mentioned in your early morning setup that you will tree call to a, to a gobbler on the roost. Are you going to tree call if there are no other hens around? Or are you going to wait for them to fly down before you make a sound? If there are no hens, I'll tree call. If there are hens, I'll call more. Right. Yeah, because at, at that point, you're pretty much screwed anyways. <laughs> you know, if he's roosted with them, there's just a really, really slight chance that he is going to end up in your lap. But to answer your question, I'll do this, the basic tree talk to him just to make contact with him. And um, But if he's got hens and, and the hens start getting nasty on the limb, well, then I'm going to get aggressive and talk to him. And the only thing you're hoping to do at that point is to arouse those hens or get a rise out of them enough to come fly down to you to find out who is this chick over here talking all this crap <laughs> and sometimes every now and again it doesn't always work but they'll fly down to you the hens will and then obviously big boys come down with them and then you sometimes will get a shot it doesn't always work but it's better than just sitting there not doing anything you know because they're either going to come down to you or they'll just fly the other way there's, there's a lot of options there whenever they're in the tree you know they did just they pitch out and they're 200 yards away as opposed, opposed if they're on the ground actually so yeah but on, on the limb with no hands, I, did, I just give them a couple tree, tree calls to contact with them. And then I wait till about right time, which you all probably kind of, you can gauge fly down time when you can see pretty good. And then I just give them a fly down cackle with my wing, just like we did with the hat. And then shut up and let the games begin. Let him get on the ground because, I mean, I, I bet we've all been guilty of calling to one on a limb and he just sits there and gobbles for 30 minutes after daylight. How many how many's done that? I have. <laughs> Without a doubt. So this is something I learned to do. Let him get on the ground. Then then all the fun starts, in my opinion. And then, you know, maybe you get lucky and he flies and pitches right to you. Every solar eclipse, I get one to do that. <laughs> that flies down to me like that right off the roost. I kill very, very few turkeys right off the roost. I think last year or two years ago, I killed three or four right off the roost. And I hadn't done that in, in a coon's age. I can't even tell you how long it's been since I'd done that. So I just, uh, just never been that guy that gets them to fall down right on top of you off the roost. I don't know. Okay, what'd you think? I think the audio sounds great personally, and I know the content in Scott's seminar is awesome. I picked up a few tips that I'm going to try out this season, so I'm excited about having this great content and good audio quality 
to bring you guys this coming year. See, if you guys tell me what you like and what you don't like, I will work hard and maybe spend some dinero to make adjustments to deliver what you want. Now, I want to apologize because I can't remember who made that recommendation to me about getting some better quality audio at the seminars, or else I would give you a shout out on the show, but thank you very much for your input. I'm excited because I've got Scott's contact information, and I look forward to having him on for a full 30 to 45 minute interview sometime very soon. Fortunately, for my sanity, the NWTF cut back on the number of their seminars this year, so I didn't have to worry about being in two seminars at the same time, and this really made my Friday much more relaxed and enjoyable for me, as I was recording by myself on Friday because Cameron didn't arrive until Friday night. Next up on the seminar agenda for me was Eddie Salter's seminar about talking turkey. Eddie is always entertaining to listen to, and he is full of great info and tips. Here's a clip of Eddie's seminar, and I'll be back in a minute. But now getting back to that turkey, you know, we tree called to him, and I told you we didn't do a whole lot to him till he flew down. When he flew down, a lot of times I've done that little short cackle, and he's hung up out there. And we've used both calls on him now. And another call, I'm kind of simulating another call. I just like to, uh, you know, just like the, and we talked about it earlier. I just, if he's hung up out there, just take it. Just call real soft. Don't get, you know, real, you know, you know, real loud with it. I think we do sometimes run two calls too, too loud. But, uh, you know, you just keep talking to him, but he's still hung up. He's out there 75 yards. Y'all have all had it to happen. Well, what happens so many times, though, is uh, when, when that turkey's hung up out there, and we've been there, you know, we've been there 30 to 45 minutes now, and he's out there. He's wanting to go with you. He's telling you he loves you. He wants to ride, but he don't want to come on in there. I mean, he's like he's run into a brick wall. And if, if the ground is flat, a lot of this rolling hills makes it tough. But if the ground is flat, a lot of times I'll go to my crow call. And if he gobbles at that crow right there, I'm going to kill him nine times out of ten. And you're going to say, nine times out of ten, you're going to kill him. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to move away from that turkey if I can. I'm going to try to get on my knees and, and, or, and or crawl to where he can't see me and try to stay real low if I can and try to get on out there and get up about 200 yards from If he answered that crow call, get about 250 yards or 200 if the woods are thick. He gobbles. I'm going to start going to my left. I'm going to go to my right. I'm going to try to, if I can, I'm going to try to move all the way around. If that turkey come from this area right here, he come about 150 yards. And he stopped out there at 100 yards, but he's already traveled 150 yards. I'm going to either go to my, to my right or I'm going to go to my left. Whichever way I know better, if I already know that terrain. And I'll tell you, you need to get in there and study the woods big time, and we'll go back to that. But anyhow, you, you hit him. You hit him. Ever so often, you out there, and he gobbles, and you try to move all the way around him. What I like to do, if I can, I like to kind of get on the back side of that turkey where I felt like he actually, he's already traveled all, you know, he's already traveled them 150 yards. And most of the time, if I can get around where that turkey traveled from, where he come from, so many times I can get in there and yep, one time. 
and he cuts me off, I just go on and get my gun up because I'm going to kill him in just, just a matter of a few minutes. I mean, he's going to be there. And why is that? Well, how many times have y'all shot deer and they would turn around and run right back the way they come from? That's right. They already going to travel. After Eddie's seminar, it was lunchtime. And visiting with some friends on the show floor before catching the Bone Collector Seminar. I actually enjoyed the Bone Collector Seminar a bit more this year as it was not quite as political as last year's. I think that I mentioned after last year's seminar that I really truly appreciate what Michael Waddell does as an advocate for hunting. But I don't think grouping everyone into one of two groups and establishing a hard and fast divide between those groups is an effective approach. We should never assume that all hunters are conservatives and or all conservatives are pro-hunting. When we do those two things, we alienate some hunters and we set ourselves up to get caught off guard by some antis who have what are otherwise conservative leanings. Anyway, I don't want to get into any further discussion on politics today, and I'm sure you don't want me to cover the topic any further, but I am appreciative of the heat that Waddell takes from and the diversion he creates for the anti-hunters. So I was excited about the Bone Collector Seminar being much more about hunting than politics this year. I have a little of that seminar for you guys right now, and I'll catch back up with you soon. I'm going to attempt bow hunting turkeys this year. Give me a couple of two or three tips to get started on. Well, I, I like to bow hunt turkeys a lot myself, and um, as far as I'm concerned, you know. If you, it just depends on what you do, how big your property is. If you want to run a gun and, and set up like you normally would, you want to set up with a blind and a decoy, that's that's the best. So what I what I always do, and I, I've been super, super successful at it, is uh, get some cameras out early, kind of figure out where your birds are chilling and hanging, and uh, get out there, get your blind set up, and time spent is key. Get you a couple of good decoys. And uh, I'd, put your de- I'd put your decoys close to the front of your blind. I always put mine out about seven yards. Then it's pretty tough to miss. Um, but one thing I think a lot of people make when you first start hunting turkeys with a bow is try not to shoot them kind of high in the breast because they, they get away on you. I like to shoot them right at the top of the thighs. Um, take out their thighs, it drops them to the ground, they can't get air under the wings to fly off. Plus if you hit a little bit high, then you just take out their, you know, you take out their guts and it's over. But I think the biggest thing when you're hunting out of a blind is just get into an area where turkeys can come out from a long ways away and see your setup and they're going to come to it. And I think you'll have a lot of success at it because just sitting in one spot, you don't spook turkeys. Because where, where I live now, I've got two little pieces of ground I can hunt. One's 80 acres and one's like 125 acres. And I can't run and gun and move around because if they spot me, it's over and they're not going to be back for a while. So I sneak in. Um, I typically have a blind already set up because I've had a camera there early. Um, and right about at this time of year, kind of when the, when, the, when the end of the season or the season before the season starts, I put out a little bit of feed just to kind of figure out where stuff's at. And then uh, just literally spend as much time as you can, get your decoys out, call very little. All you got to do is just let them know where you're at because then they're going to come out into the field, they're going to see the decoys, and they're going to come to them. And to me, it's, to me, it's pretty dang easy way to hunt turkeys. Um, it's not as exciting as, as running and gunning, but go ahead. There are certain 
display, you need to position your decoys for better bow hunting? I have the best luck with a hen out in front, a jig, a jig decoy in the kind of pre-breeding position with his head kind of cocked back a little bit. I like to put him just a little bit behind her, kind of quartered away. And it just seems like when those birds come in, they're going to come around and they're going to try to get right in front of him. They're going to get right in his face. So position your decoy where that bird's going to be right in front of you. And like I said, closer to me is better. You don't want to put them at 20 yards because they're just that margin for error. Because sometimes they come in real super slow. If it's a single time, he'll come in and he'll strut around real slow. If two or three of them come in together, you know, sometimes they'll you know, run around. So it's a little bit tougher. So a closer shot is always best. And I think you'll have a lot of success at it if you got if you got birds in your in your little area that you're hunting. It's it's pretty fun. After the bone collector seminar was a great seminar by Matt Moret called Turkey Decoy and Calling Tactics. I got to meet Matt's daughter before the seminar, who's in college, and that was pretty cool. It's nice to meet some of the family of these guys that I've gotten to know, and some of them I've gotten to know pretty well through this podcast. But it's nice to see them and meet them at a place like the NWTF convention in Nashville. Here's a little highlight from Matt's seminar, and I'll see you on the other side. How many of y'all have ever fell asleep in the turkey woods? (laughs) Is it not the best place in the world to take a nap? It is, man. About 8 o'clock in the morning, you start dozing off. And, you know, the later I get in life, every time I fall asleep, buzzards circle me when I wake up. And that scares the crap out of me. But in all honesty, you think about things like that. Man, I look forward to a nap about the third week of turkey season. But how many times have you been, like, dozing off there about 8.30? That old turkey you've been working starts gobbling again. So many folks give up right after daylight, right after that roost time. And, and, you know, they think, man, turkeys, it's over. They're not gobbling anymore. To me, the, the best time, especially with populations in a lot of places where they're growing, the best time can be that 8.30, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. That gobbler, all of a sudden, all his girlfriends left. He looks around. And he thinks, man, I heard one over on that ridge a while ago. And I honestly think when a gobbler gobbles looking for you, when he's gobbling trying to attract hens, that's when he's most vulnerable to come to your call. When you're yelping and calling one in and it's been quiet a little while and all of a sudden no crow, no owl, no other hens, no other gobbler, he, he's searching for you. To me, that's what I'm looking for when I'm calling to a turkey. And I want him to come looking for me. And that's how we're going to talk about changing the game. But, you know, before we get into that, let's talk about another real important aspect of turkey hunting. And if you all are on social media, man, it's blowing up out there. And I don't feel there's, you know, any bigger topic out there than, than, than your shotgun. But this is how I know if I have a lot of honest people in here. How many of you all have ever missed a turkey? Yes, a bunch of people that tell the truth. You wouldn't believe, I was at Harrisburg at home, that big show last week, I asked that question about 100 people, and three people raised their hand. They're full of crap. You go turkey hunting, you're going to miss a turkey. I think maybe, just maybe, I've gotten Matt talked into coming on the show to do a full 30 to 45 minute interview about a bit of a different topic that... I think we'll all find very helpful and very informative. After I mic'd up Matt, I ducked out of the seminar to go check in Cameron and my buddy Brian at the hotel. So I asked the guy at the check-in desk to put Cameron and his wife Audrey on the same floor 
and close to my room since he was going to be helping me again this year. The gentleman at the Opryland Resort typed on his keyboard for about five minutes and said he had it all handled for us. So my wife Tammy and I left the desk feeling satisfied that that insignificant little matter was handled. And I called Cameron to let him know. Well, after Cameron arrived and checked in at the hotel, he called me to see where I was. While on the phone, he told me he got upgraded at the hotel because they had given his room away. You know, the room I made it a point to get reserved near me. But it ended up being a bonus for Cameron and Audrey to get upgraded to an executive suite. And I'm glad the Opryland readily and happily made up for their own error and hook those two up. Isn't it nice to get good customer service these days? I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. So after a couple of cold beers in the room and a couple of more cold beers at the watering hole with my buddy Josh McGinley from Pennsylvania, we ended the day with a nice dinner at the hotel and a short seven-hour nap. Saturday morning found Cameron and me on the show floor pretty early to see a couple of other friends who were exhibiting and to cover the first room of the exhibit hall before going to what was supposed to be Ray I's seminar, but ended up being Philip Vanderpool's seminar due to an emergency Ray had to tend to. So you guys, please keep Ray and his family in your thoughts and prayers for the next several days. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but I know that Ray would appreciate any prayers that we can offer them. So I left Cameron at Philip's seminar and I ventured onto the show floor again. Cameron said Philip did a great job, so let's listen into Philip in his impromptu question and answer seminar, and I'll talk to you again in a bit. Uh, I shot my 89th long beard this year with, with my bow in Kansas. I've, I've been blessed to shoot 89 gobblers now with a bow. And so I, I can tell you how to run and gun them. I can tell you how to set up any way, you know, things that work for you, uh, what to do with your bow in certain occasions there. If you, you know, you can always go to the old flower shop and rig you up something, you know, with those fake flowers and, and leaves, put around your, around your bow limbs and stuff like that. There's a lot of ways of doing it. Uh, most of the time I hunt turkeys out of a blind because you only have two or three. We're, we're always traveling. We only have about three days to hunt them. So I usually hunt them out of a blind and for several reasons because I love to get all the camera angles of the turkeys coming in to get in the spitting and the drumming and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, um, anything like that. And uh, we've got some, uh, I've used those solid broadheads now and we really like to get them close and shoot their heads off at about five yards. Makes it, you know, and it's ethical. You just take their heads off and it's over with. Either hit or miss. Yeah, hit or miss. And believe you me, I've seen some misses. <laughs> yes, sir. I actually haven't heard any of Philip's seminar before today, so that was pretty cool to me. I actually love the question and answer seminars when they stay on the topic of turkey hunting. Those types of seminars get me thinking that I need to do a few more of those types of podcasts this coming year. So I'll try to make that a priority. After Phillips Seminar, the NWTF started its schedule of double booked seminars. So I sent Cameron into the seminar put on by Jimmy Primos, Cuz Strickland, Matt Moret, and Fred Zink called Preserving Our Hunting Heritage while I slipped last second in Jeff Budd's seminar called Secrets of Traveling the Country for Your Grand Slam. First up is the Hunting Heritage Seminar, so listen in and I'll see you guys on the other side. 
So I sat, and I'm gonna tell the turkey story about a vegan. There's a vegan Asian gentleman um, in San Francisco that was very descriptive on how he's gonna murder me. Um, and I took him out of the turkey field this last spring because uh, he wanted to go out and eventually through our process said, hey, you know what, I wanna try this. I don't know if I wanna kill it, but I wanna go see the process. And so I actually got permission and we sat in the turkey field an opening morning. As many of you know, in that first gobble, like he said, this dude just lit up. Um, and I called back and just the hammering of the whole woods just went crazy. And first thing in the morning, as the sun comes up, we had a double bearded reel rock right into our spread. And just sat there and I was like, this is your bird. This is this is a trophy of a lifetime. This is what every hunter is looking for, this double bearded reel. And he sat there and goes, I'm not ready. I went, great. We put his gun down, we sat and watched that tom, I'm not exaggerating, for one hour. If you know anything about turkeys, they come in, they, they dill around, they leave. And we sat and watched this bird be a bird. And we communicated with each other, we talked, and that bird walked off. And that day, we went in the next morning, guess which tom came in that morning? That big old tom came strutting in, and he goes, I'm not ready yet. You shoot it. You shoot it. I was like, it's not my bird, man. And we sat and talked for three hours, watching the tom. They left. The third day, we go out. And at this point, I'm like, man, I hope he shoots that bird. <laughs> but we sat there, and this bird came strutting out, and it sat there, and it puffed up, and it starts beating its wings, and, and I'm getting on video, and I'm just enjoying it. And all of a sudden, I hear him pick up a shotgun, and I'm like, he goes, I think I'm ready. And he shot this bird, and it wasn't what you see on TV. We weren't smoked up, we weren't high-fiving. He sat there, put the gun down, and we just stared, and he started to cry. And maybe I'll be honest, I cry all the time, I'm a big baby. And so I sit there and I cry with him. And we just saw the blind for 45 minutes. And we go out and we touch the bird. And I said, hey, I know you're a Buddhist, but I pray over all my animals. I need you to bless this animal. And he prayed my God over that animal. And we sat and we went back and we ate dinner. And he taught me Asian techniques on a bird that I was gonna teach him how to do something basic with. And him and his wife are actually going to come to one of my field to play classes in Texas and shoot deer this year. And his wife has been a vegan her entire life. To sit there and impact people on a level by showing respect and honor and doing what God told us to by loving your enemy is huge. And in the industry that we're in, we're destroying that. When I posted pictures of me taking a vegan out hunting, who do you think came back at me with backlash? The vegans or the hunters? The hunters. I blocked 30 of my closest friends in the outdoor industry because of how disgusting their reaction was for me to take out a vegan and the controversy that they started. I have not ever blocked one vegan or vegetarian, but I've blocked thousands of hunters and outdoor industry people because as they can attest, it's not about us, it's about them. And if I can take out 150 new hunters and I have two daughters, a dog, I run a business, I live in Southern California, Y'all who live in the sticks, who have kids in school, you drive by that you know don't take out. Like, to me, what's your excuse? It's to say you don't have time, but you look on, you can go right now on your screen and it tells you how much time you spent on your phone this past week. You're a liar. You spent, what, I mean, 14 hours on your phone this last week? Cut that down by 10, you got 10 hours to take somebody outside and sit there. And mentorship isn't correcting an action. It's shutting up and just being there with someone that needs to be mentored. And I think that's where we, as hunters, shoot ourselves in the foot. Because we always want to be like, hey, you missed that bird, you gotta leave it by three feet. Versus, hey, what do you think went wrong there? 
What are some ways that we can fix that? All right, tell me about it. And setting up the money to figure out how to shoot a gun versus always correcting how to shoot a gun. Because when my dad used to tell me to do something, I did the exact opposite. <laughs> and if you take out kids and adults, especially millennials who are you know, roughly my age, we tell them something, they're like, you know what? You're a Republican, screw you, this is the way I want to do it. But I, again, where I live in California, I can say that. Um, but take someone out and show them respect and don't talk about political aspects, don't talk about anything else, don't talk about gun rights. These guys still refuse to buy guns. So when I take them out, guess whose guns they use? I, he, he flat out told me I will never have a gun in my house. Can I borrow your shotgun? <laughs> Eventually, I hope that one day he'll have his own shotgun. But, so that's kind of what I'm doing. It's a little bit different than all these guys. Now, here's a little clip of Jeff Budd's seminar, and I'll be back to you soon. This was two springs ago, and uh, I had a friend that hadn't hunted up there, and I lost my picture. Um, so she surprised me on my 50th for a, with my super slam picture, a big map, and it was just—it was unbelievable. It was, you know, normally you have to fake and go, "Oh, great, thanks, grandmother, for the turtleneck that you knit," you know. And but she gave me that map, and it was just amazing. But I didn't have my picture, so my of uh, Vermont birds. So my buddy said, "Hey, I'm going up. You know all those spots." I said, "You know, you pay for the rental, and I'm with you, and I'll show you." So we went up, and I. Got got my picture and it was we had a great time so I get up there and my honey hole the guy had called and he fell apart literally I landed and he fell apart didn't answer me back and I went oh great so we got on Facebook main Facebook uh, uh, website or uh, main turkey hunters whatever Facebook and found a guy and up there you can hunt any property you want without it being signed and dated for that year. So I, he, I, he call, I call him, I said, hey, and he says, uh, he goes, man, I'm booked. Whatever. I go, I get it, I get it. I don't need you to show me. I said, I know you have some property that you can show me. I said, I'm, I'm here, my buddy's here. We'll each give you $100. It's at night. I said, just drive us around and just point us to a couple places. And he goes, okay. So he, it's, he, I, we paid him $200 to be with us for, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe less than an hour. So we went back the next day. Biggest bird I've ever, biggest eastern I've ever killed. It's hard to see on those. I, so a lobster trap. So I train. When I'm going to an area, I take pictures of whatever the blue bonnets in Texas, the blueberry shrubs in up in the northeast, the grape vines out in California, the whatever it is. But that bird. So he's got his beards. His four beards. He's got 80 some points on just beards alone because it's twice the total length. But it was. 112 point bird so my biggest biggest bird and I got in there and I said okay I know this is hunted hard I mean I could see if I hit the on my remote beep beep on my rental and I got in there and luckily for me not for him the jakes were tearing it up and I got in I was listening I was like where and I heard one gobble and I went okay he's right there I had my ears in and I went right in there and I sat down it's pitch black and I waited and I waited and he gobbled again and now we're talking it's probably 15 minutes before you'd normally hear a gobble and that in turkey dark hours minutes seconds that's a lot of time and I sat down I waited for it till I thought I should hear a gobble I gave one per cluck like that set it down never called again he, he answered it and I set it down I picked up my gun he came in but I saw his white head and that's all I could see I couldn't see and I just knew I was like I know that's a Tom I know and I shot him and that's the biggest bird one call state I say state ground but it's just it, there were there was a guy pulled in was parked right next to me I could hear him calling off he was a few ways away but there's I mean that's whew, uh, 
listening to Jeff was funny. He got more and more fired up as he went along. His seminar lasted just over one and a half hours, and it was full of info useful to those of us who love to travel and turkey hunt. After Jeff wrapped up, it was rush, rush, rush to eat lunch to try to make the 1 p.m. seminar with Will and Jimmy Primos entitled Turkey Calling Tactics, which Cameron did not make it to in time. So we missed that one, which I was pretty upset about because I know that was going to be a good one to have for you guys. But I did make it to Brenda Valentine's Why We Hunt seminar, which I thought was very thought-provoking. Here's a clip from this seminar, and I'll be back in a few. When they contacted me about doing seminars, and I usually do one every year, and you know, you come up with different titles, but one of the most basic things I think is, why do we hunt? Is there anybody in here that can just give a one-word reason of why do you hunt? Peace. Peace. That's a big one. Sadly, there's there's so many people that can talk a half a day if they have to explain it to somebody that doesn't hunt, and they still aren't convincing. They, they don't have the words. They know in their heart why they hunt, but they can't tell anybody else. And I think that's a real handicap when it comes to explaining to non-hunters why we're out there shooting stuff. And so I, let's try to figure out to make ourselves more, uh, I can't even come up with a word I want on that, how we can express our passion better so that we will be represented better and the non-hunters can understand us hopefully a little bit better. It has to be more than I just want to go kill a big deer. I just want to blow a turkey's head off. That doesn't cut it with me either. You have to be able to express a deeper reasoning if we're ever going to be accepted by people that don't hunt or people that just you know, they're not really committed as anti-hunters, but they wonder. And that's been a handicap for a lot of us. I'm going to read you, uh, this is just a little short something, and it is a foreword to a book that I've had something to do with, and it's not out yet. It, it will be released uh, sometime this spring. I don't know if any of you know K.J. Houtman or not. She is a, a very famed female outdoor writer. She did the biography on Jim Zumbo. She's written a lot of children's books and stuff. Well, KJ is a friend, and so she's been working on this uh, nice, big, hardcover, coffee table type book about uh, why women hunt. But I'm, I'm not, I don't like to categorize it. Yes, I'm a woman, and yes, I hunt, but I don't feel like I'm in a separate category as a woman hunter. I'm a hunter. Everybody in this room, I hope, are hunters. And I don't see that we have to differentiate ourselves. I just think if you, know, if you hunt, fine. It doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what age you are. You're a hunter or, or you're not. But she asked me, and I was honored, to write the uh, introduction to her book. And I'll just give you just a little bit. But... <clears throat> A few Sundays ago, our preacher made a simple statement that struck a chord so hard that I immediately went digging in my purse for a pen and a scrap of paper to jot it down. There was hardly a need to write it for his words etched themselves firmly in my mind. 
folks don't really care about what you do as they care about why you do it. While I sat there thinking about all the things that this applied to in life, the remainder of the sermon went unheard. This book tells the story of women who hunt, but more importantly, why. And that goes on and, and you know, reveals, it, it outlines probably, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 women, and they give their reasoning why in this book. But the introduction, and, that, and it starts out into that. So I won't go any more into that, but uh, the one word explanations, you know, it, it's tough. So let's, let's dig into it, and at any time, if y'all have something to add or something that you'd like to bring out, jump in. This is not me preaching to you, the seminar, you know, they asked me if I wanted a lot of electronics, I don't. It, I think we can all learn from each other, and this is more of a group discussion. But the very first reason that I think is the most basics is Genesis uh, 27.3. It's like food. That, that should be the, mo the most basic reason. That's the reason that hunters began hunting in the beginning was for food. And, uh, but sadly, I think we've gotten away from a lot of that. Maybe we're headed back in the uh, field to fork and the organic meat movement that we have. And, and we are bringing in a few uh, hunters that were non-hunters because they, they want this organic meat. But food is the very first reason, most basic. The big guy upstairs commanded it. So if you ever have to defend yourself, that should be it, right there, food. Everybody agree to this? You good on that? Brenda really made me think to be able to tell someone why I do what I love to do in one word. I came up with my one word that I feel like is all-encompassing. I'll share that word with you guys when I post Brenda's entire seminar which will probably be sometime this summer. In the meantime, I want you guys to give some serious thought to come up with one word that describes why you do what you do. Why do you hunt? I want to hear your one word. So email me your one word as to why you hunt. Send that email to andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. And I'm going to sweeten the pot a little bit. A little bribe of sorts. The person who sends me via email the best one word description or reason why is going to win a one year, one state premium membership to OnX. Our friends at OnX gave us three of these to give away to you guys and here's your first opportunity to win one. Now here are my three disclaimers. Are you ready? Number one, I am the sole judge of which entry wins the contest. Number two, by entering, you acknowledge that your email will get added to my email list and to OnX's email marketing list as well. I can tell you that my email list will never be sold to anyone. It will forever remain the property of my company, Angry Rancher, and me. Now, I cannot speak for Onyx, but I can tell you that I am on their email list personally. And I may get one email every two, 
to maybe three months from them. Now, that may change, but that is what my personal experience is with their email marketing plan. Number three, I'm going to pull the plug on this contest in two weeks. So so have your entry to me by March the 6th, 2019, and I'll announce the winner on the March the 7th, 2019 show. This is a great chance. This is a great chance to use the premium membership of the Onyx app this turkey season. I have to sit down and do the math on it, but right off the top of my head, I can't tell you how many turkeys that the app helped me kill last turkey season alone. One word to answer the question, why do you hunt? Okay, after Brenda's seminar ended, I sent Cameron off to record the Bone Collectors minus Michael Waddell while I wandered into the Grand National Calling Championship and recorded the last five or six callers of that competition. Cameron said the seminar that he recorded of Bone Collectors was primarily about archery deer hunting. So I'm going to spare you guys the pain of listening to deer hunting stories. (laughs) And I'm going to jump into the big announcement of winners and runners-up of the Grand National Calling Championship. And then I'm going to play the calling sequence from this year's winner. Listen in, and I'll see you on the other side. Right to it, man. We're going to bring out the top five in no particular order. So these next five names you hear, they are your top five of the Senior Grand National Championship. Without further ado, he was calling number 13, Wayne Dozier. Come on up to the stage. He's our current Grand National Champion. He was caller number one. He fought on through to make it to the top five. Dave Congratulations, Dave. This next caller, he was from Auburn, Alabama. He was caller number nine. He yelled for evil at the end of it. Mr. Craig Wood, come on up here. Our next caller, he was really, really nervous at the end of the run. Matt was pretty good to him and pretty tough on him, but he made it into the top five. Y'all give it up for caller number 10, Josh Grossenbach. I know everybody's sweating backstage. A lot of callers, a lot of them did great, but our final caller that's going to make it into the top five. I know y'all trying to figure it out yourself. Everybody else is out there. But y'all give it up. He was called number 11. He's old redneck from Kentucky. Jesse Martin. I heard every single one of them except for uh, Dave. What? I heard every single one of them except for Dave. Oh, nice. Let Jesse get out of here. Dave will win. I want y'all to soak this in just a little while. Let everybody look at y'all, man. This is your top five best turkey callers in the world right here. Make it two stages. Now we're in the top five. 
Congrats to Jesse Martin. So here's Jesse's calling sequence that he won with. Contestant number 11. Caller number 11. Please come to the stage. The judges have the back turns. They're ready. Caller number 11. We'll give caller number 11 time to get his calls out and get set up. And when you're ready, call number 11. We're going to start with situation one, which is a hen that wakes up on the limb. She flies down into a field and she begins feeding. Your calls are the tree call, your fly down cackle, cluck and purr, and the plain yelp of a hen. You can begin when you're ready.
situation is a scattered ball flock of juvenile birds that regroup into a field. Two jakes will get fighting for dominance. We're going to be listening, and the judges are judging based on the adult hen assembly call, the kiki run, jake yell, and fighting bird.
family out there. Jesse, my man, I always good to see you, buddy. I've always had a chance to talk to this guy a lot. He's known the last several years, and I feel like we should have been at the same family reunion, even though he's from Kentucky, now Georgia. Always been one of my favorite callers. And uh, one question I want to ask, because the judges could not have seen this, uh, but some of the, all the crowd could have. Scenario number one, situation one, when you flew down off that limb, what in the world did that hen grab on the way down? Because she said, bur, 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 and you stopped right there and you grabbed it. Was that a mosquito, a grasshopper? <laughs> she was going down. One of these days, when I grow up, ah, who am I kidding? I'll never sound that good because I will never put in that kind of practice that it takes to be that good at calling. So how much practice does it take to be that good at calling? Here's Jesse after he just won the 2019 Grand National Calling Championship to tell us just how much practicing it does take. Hey guys, I'm here with Jesse Martin and congratulations Jesse. He has just won the 2019 Grand National Calling Championship here in Nashville and so I'm just curious because you know me as I consider myself to be an average turkey caller. What does it take? How many hours of practice would you say you put in between last year's contest and this year's contest? And I know you probably don't have a log of that, but what do you think? It's at least it's at least a, at least six hours a week. You know, I'm building calls. Which we're, I build calls for all the calls for American Strutter. Yep. And uh, all the mouth calls we hand build for American Strutter, it, it, it's the same mouth calls I'm running on stage. You know, there's no substitutes. Right. But at least six hours a week, you know, for about a year. Anytime you get that, which we just had a baby boy, too, three weeks ago. So Congratulations. Yeah. Man, that's it, a big week. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, big year. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... It, it's six hours a week at the minimum. You know, if you want to be on top, you got to practice all the time, as much yeah. as you can get. Yeah. Well, and and you know that's getting you from there, from last year to here. So you know, a lot, a lot of practicing leading up to this point to even get to get to this stage. So, uh, congratulations to you, man. I'm I'm excited for you. I know you were you were uh, oh, yeah. pretty dang excited yourself. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's it's just good to see you know somebody puts in, and all these guys do. But yeah. you know, you put in a lot of work. And, and it's good to see those efforts pay off. So congrats to you. So that concluded an awesome Saturday for me and Cameron. Sunday found us in the exhibit hall pretty much all day long where we first ran into the Onyx booth to chat with Dylan Dowson about my favorite app. Just don't tell Twitter I said that, okay? Here's Dylan to tell us what is new at Onyx. And I'll be back shortly. Hey guys, I am here at the NWTF convention and I'm standing next to Dylan Dowson with On X. And Dylan, how's everything going with you guys? Have y'all had a good show this week? Yeah, it's it's going really good. Um, really good turnout this year. I, I feel like it's been up a little bit from last year, but good. lots of people stopping by the booth and, and chatting. So yeah, it's a really good week. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. So Dylan, tell me a little bit about what's going on at On X. I'm sure you guys are not just standing by and letting the product 
sit there idly. I know you're working on it some. So what's happening over there? Yeah, you know, we've got a great team. Um, they're always working on the next best thing and, and getting new features out to, to all of our users. Um, we did just recently launch a giveaway with NWTF and Michael Waddell uh, for a turkey hunt. So people can go to our website and sign up for that. Um, if you go to onxmaps.com uh, slash hunt dash giveaway, uh, I can get signed up for that. But, you know, as far as new features, like I said, we're always coming out with, with new stuff. We recently launched uh, Wind and Weather. Um, that's something we're going to be expanding on quite a bit in the future, but we got that out to users. So, yeah, yeah, always working on stuff. I noticed that towards the end of deer season that that was, well, and our deer, deer season just ended last Saturday. So, but I noticed it when I pulled the map up, and yes, I use it even hunting the property that I know like the back of my hand. Yeah, so I, I own a little 24-acre piece of property south of, of my house in Birmingham, and I still use my Onyx app for that little piece of property. I mean, it just, you know, there's a hundred uses for it, so I love it, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you said, I mean, it's great for finding new places, whether you're looking for a new lease or, you know, knocking on doors to get for permission. Uh, it's also great at finding public land, but as to you said, even for managing property that you know you know you know where the boundaries are you know where you set your tree stand um, you can still mark waypoints you can share those waypoints to, to different people whether it's family members just to let them know where you're at for safety reasons or you know if you have a hunting buddy that's going to hunt that same stand yeah. uh, you can send that stand location over so there's definitely yeah. still a lot of uh, more area management tools that you can use for that yeah, yeah no doubt and and I used it to measure the area of my food plots so I know what kind of seed to buy and fertilizer and lime and all that. So. Yep, yeah, you can use that uh, area tool. Uh, we'll get you that acreage yeah. and, and whatnot. You can track all the deer trails throughout there or even just track, uh, you know, the best route into your stands. So if you go in in the morning or if you go to a blind in the morning, you know, you're looking at your phone and making sure that you're on the best path and not going to be screwing up those, the deer turkey. Yeah, yeah, good deal. Well, Dylan, thank you for taking the time out. I'm going to let you get back to the show, but I do appreciate you taking a few minutes and appreciate what you guys do for on next to help us all be a little bit more successful in the woods so thank you yeah thank you guys very much all right seriously i don't think there has been a month that has passed since i first started using onyx that i have not used it i cannot recommend it to you guys enough after we left dylan cameron and i went to the game changer booth game changer makes a pretty cool turkey hunting or should i say turkey reaping product that can attach to your gun and has a trigger that raises and lowers the fanned out tail of a gobbler decoy. So here is Stephen Keith to tell us more about Game Changer and I'll see you again in a few. I'm here with Stephen Keith with Game Changer Decoys, and uh, he, he's going to tell us a little bit about his product. So, Stephen, tell us about your product, you know, where are you guys from, and how people can get in touch with you. Yes, good morning. We're at the 2019 NWTF convention, and we're excited to display our turkey decoy. We've got a, a full motion decoy that attaches to the gun. It's designed to attract turkeys by 
playing to the instinct of competition rather than the mating instinct. And we've got a, a patent, patented device that attaches to the shotgun so that hunters are able to shoot the turkey as he's approaching rather than having to throw down and try to shoot a fleeing turkey. So we're really excited about our product. We're based out of Alabama and our website is changeyourhunt.com. Thank you. If you y'all definitely need to check out these decoys. They look like they'd be really easy to uh, carry out into the field and uh, they mount right on your gun. They look awesome. You can move them all around. So y'all go check out the website. Thanks for interviewing with us. Yes, sir. Thank you. Check those guys out at changeyourhunt.com if that type of thing interests you. So after we left Game Changer, we stopped at Pack Rabbit's booth. Pack Rabbit has a neat product that is a modular vest or pack system. Enough from me about it. Here is John Adelman with Pack Rabbit to tell us more about their new vest pack concept. Hey guys, I am here with John Adelman with Pack Rabbit, and John has a pretty neat product I think a lot of you guys might be interested in, so I'm going to let John tell us about it and also where we can find it. So John, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, so here at the NWTF, uh, our, uh, our very popular item has been uh, our introduction of our Elite Turkey Hunter system. Uh, what we did was we took the, uh, the, the paradigm of the, the traditional turkey vest that has the integrated seat, and we broke it into two pieces. We have a, uh, a chest vest now that you put on. You put it on first thing uh, in the morning. It's the last thing you take off at the end of the day. So it allows you to uh, basically drive your truck, your side by side. You don't have to take a vest on and off. Yeah. Uh, really allows you to keep everything that's important to you on you at all times. Um, so basically you're going to load your chest vest up with your calls. Now the, the carrier side is where it gets really unique. Uh, our, our, our frame that's in the carrier, it is a framed carrier, has an integrated low profile seat. So simply you take the, the, the carrier off your shoulders, set it on the ground, flip your seat out, and there's your low profile seat that you're sitting in. Uh, and what's really unique about our system is it allows you to uh, get your feet flat on the ground, bend your knees, uh, and have total back support. Uh, so it keeps you comfortable, you maintain all your circulation, you're not trading your body temperature with the ground temperature, and you're not uh, getting eaten up by the ticks. And because you're not attached to your seat now, if you have to get up, run out, uh, set a decoy, or chase a bird, you can simply leap up out of your seat and leave that behind, but still with your chest vest, have everything important to you as you uh, move out into the field. Yeah. Instead of having a cushion on the back of your vest, flapping up against the back of your knees and tripping you up. Uh, uh, it, exactly, exactly. Or the other alternative is, like a lot of people do, is they open up their vest, all their calls go to the ground, and if they got to get up and run out there, what do they do? They leave their vest because they don't want to bring that seat with them. So they leave everything behind and they run out there with, you know, yeah. essentially nothing on them. Yeah. And that's when I always get pinned down, yeah. you know, with a gun and no calls, and I need a call to get that bird in the last 10 yards. So, yeah, that's the way that works. Well, good deal. Well, John, thank you. I appreciate the time. It's a great-looking product. How can everybody find find you guys? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're online, uh, full uh, full e-commerce website. You can see all of our uh, great gear at uh, uh, pack-rabbit.com. So there is a hyphen in there, but it's uh, pack-rabbit.com. P-A-C-K-R-A-B-B-I-T. Okay. Very good. John, thank you. Good luck to you the rest of the show. Thanks so much.
I think they have a really cool product at PackRabbit, and I can definitely see some advantages in their design compared to other vests that are out there. Anyway, go check those guys out and let them know you heard about them here if you decide to buy something from them. After we left PackRabbit, I sent Cameron packing, packing on over to the final seminar of the weekend. That final seminar is the Grand National Calling Championship panel. I haven't heard any of it before today, so this is another one that I'm excited about listening to. Here are a few minutes from that seminar, and I'll be back to close out the show for you guys soon. That is unbelievable. Matt, you got a friction call in your hand, and Matt, again, is known for the guy that won the Grand Nationals, really, truly using partly at least friction calls. Amazing. I was there, and in that finals, the year you won the Grand Nationals. You were dating that girl. I was dating that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I even bring that up? (laughs) Sometimes my inside voice just pours out, okay? I'm sorry. So, Matt, we've been calling soft. I want to hear uh, your thoughts on running a friction call number one, but but also you've got to do some of that awesome cutting that you're you, the best that I've ever heard at taking a friction call and making it turkey, in my opinion, my well, personal opinion. I'll tell you the, the secret to competition friction calling, I learned this past weekend. Um, I got back into a calling contest on Friday with one of our guys, Josh Grossenbacher, on a two-man team. I thought I could do it. I was practicing, getting ready, just like the old days. But there's one thing that I forgot about is when you step up on stage, I went to put my striker on my call, and my hand was shaking so bad I couldn't get it down there. And that's when I was calling. That's I could control my nerves, and that's one thing that you don't realize unless you've ever been up there. The nerves, the guys that can beat their nerves, because you got that adrenaline going. That's that's the guys that are. And some guys call better like that. Which is why Michael Waddell wondered if I had a heart attack last year when I wasn't coming out on the stage. But that's okay. But like about the woods. In the woods, you little shaky. Have you ever gotten shaky? Heck yeah. Yeah. You don't want to sound like a woodpecker, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but friction calls. When I, I mean, I learned on a mouth call is when you know I, I competed as a kid with mouth calls and my voice and and it, where I come from in Pennsylvania. At one point, in, when friction calls got really realistic, when it went from plastic to wood, it helped me. In, it helped a lot of folks in the woods because that realism is built into a friction call. Mouth call, I mean, it takes a long time. A lot of times for guys to sound exactly like a hen. Technology's gotten better. Guys building calls gotten better. It's it, it's a whole different process. But you can take somebody the first time to the woods and and with a today's friction calls, I don't care whose it is, they sound like a turkey. You know, and, and it, it's technology's made it a lot better. But cutting to me is when a hen's doing that. I mean, in the woods, that's a turkey hunter's bread and butter call. Get them fired up. You know, get them cranked up. And it's been my favorite call when I am in a competition because I like to, you're painting a picture when you're calling on stage. You want you want that judge to you know feel like. There's a hen turkey out there and trying to get as realistic as possible. One of the things that you notice, Matt, his rhythms are just impeccable. That's that's real turkey. And every what I hear people do on a slate call most of the not at times, and you'll hear them especially in public hunting areas, they just want to do that machine gun stuff. Turkeys don't machine gun cut. They cut with real turkey rhythm like you're doing. Well she's listening. You know, she's 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 making that sound she's excited and she's listening between notes. Now, if she gets real excited, 
you know, or, or aggravated another hen. No. There you go. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I love it. Billy. Okay. I have to add this statement here that when Cameron came back from that last seminar, he was all giddy. He made mention that the seminar he just attended was the best one he's ever been to. And you better believe I'll be listening to that one soon, and I'll be bringing it to you guys sometime this summer as well. While Cameron was at the final seminar, I visited with some more friends on the exhibit hall floor, and I got to meet a couple of the guys that I've had on the show before, but have never met face-to-face, like Bob Fulcher. And by the way, I got a beautiful scratch box collar from Bob that I am really excited about running in the woods. It plays so unbelievably easy that even I sound good on it. I've left it in the bedroom over the past week, and my wife has picked it up several times during that week and played it. And she can run that call fairly well. She's probably only tried to run three or four different types of callers her entire life. But I'm convinced that she could call in the right Tom on the right day with that scratch box call. I do not have a doubt in my mind about that. Okay, so I still have tons more content from this past weekend for you guys. I'm telling you. I have some amazing content for you guys. So next week, I'm going to share the one question interviews that Cameron and I did with the pros on the show floor. There's some gold in them their interviews, I'm telling you. Right now, though, I've got to turn you loose for the week. If you would do me a favor, though, I would appreciate it. Forward the link to this week's show using the share button on your podcast player app and send that link to a couple of turkey hunting buddies via text message. I have a feeling they'll thank you for it. That's it. That's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.